Well, good morning. Welcome to Southfield, and happy Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. I was going to give a brief intro, but literally that was my script, so you guys got exactly what I was going to say. No, uh, if there were a couple things that I'd have to add specifically, one, getting the grass stains out of my jeans. I don't know how I got so, like, every day, I'd go outside for five minutes, I'd come back in, my mom would be like, again? And somehow they magically disappeared. Uh, for two, making me sit at the table until my fish was gone. She would not let me get up until I had eaten every because I hated it. I hated fish, and now I love it. And I can't credit eating cold fish to liking fish, but when you like cold fish, you've learned to like good fish. Um, and, and the last one for, for still figuring out my insurance, because I'm 33 and I don't know how that works. So, so thank you for keeping me alive and helping me go to the doctor every 16 or so years. Um, but no, today we are going to get started with some worship, so if you would, please stand and join us as we sing to our God. So does it feel uh, hauntingly familiar? Well, she, Mom was just scrolling through her phone looking at that exact conversation we had a little <laughs> while ago. And if you notice the perfect grammar, I mean, that is pretty much how we text. That's how you know, that's how you know people are not uh, teenagers anymore, is when you see punctuation and... Caps and, yeah, and proper, proper spelling and all and that yeah, stuff. Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I go through the same stuff with my mom. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So I had a couple of fun nature things uh, this week. In fact, one this morning. I'm driving to church, came around the corner. I look, I'm like, I think that's an eagle. Oh, my word. I'm like, oh, it's just a heron. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just oh, it's just a heron. Yeah. That was wild. So I had anyway, a, that I had was a weird cool. bird thing this week, too. I was sitting in one of my classes and all of a sudden, you know, my kids are working on a project. They're very focused. I'm actually helping one of my students, and so I'm locked in, and, and one kid turns and says, 
wow, it's a bird. And I have trees right outside of my window. So my, my classroom's on the second story of the school, and so there's a, there's a tree. And then it's like right next to the roof as well. So you can see onto the roof. So whenever anybody's up there working on the roof, the kids are like, wow, who's that? Just don't worry about it. So I'm just figuring it's one of those things. Like, you're just general distraction. It's a bird, guys, let it go. And I turn it. This thing, it's a hawk with about a seven-foot wingspan. I mean, this thing was huge. <laughs> I mean, it was massive. So I'm like, yeah, 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 it's just a bird. But they're all going to the window, you know, like, like they're at the zoo or something. And uh, I was like, just leave the bird alone. Most of them start walking back to their desk. And as they do, this hawk decided to turn and dive bomb down to the ground, snatch a mouse, and bring it up to the roof, <laughs> and tear it apart like National Geographic style for all my kids. So they got nothing done for that It was a lost, day. Yeah. a lost day. I got some kids cr like almost crying, no, not the mouse, and others like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, it's weird. Yeah. That's fun. My other thing, I like going mushroom hunting. It's kind of a, it's a blast this time of year to go find them. And I was at Green Lake for a couple of days for a board meeting. So I'm really excited. I've always wanted, I mean, 900 acres. There's got to be a mushroom there somewhere, right? So pack days, I'm leaving on town and I'm like, I got to peek. If they're there, they're there now. I went to a spot. I thought there might be some. I took about 10 paces into the woods, and I'm not kidding, boom, right there in front of me, morel mushroom. I'm like, this is, oh my word, it is the promised land. And then I'm like, oh shoot, I don't have my camera. I got to take a picture of this. So I go back at my camera. It took me 10 minutes to find it again. It was just crazy. So you ever find one, mark it before you walk away and find your phone. Very, 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 <laughs> very important. But anyway, this weekend, you got your update again. And as you did, you see that this one, just like last weekend, it's it's click so that you heavy. know what the date is, where to go, what to do. Uh, any there you need to point out? A couple. Yeah, the first one is for tonight. So Revive is inviting moms to come join us for, for the evening, and there is a, a slight shift. And I know this caused panic in the first service, so I don't mean to cause panic again. But last year we did this, and I, I looked back at the schedule, and we started at 5, which is right in the, din the heart of dinner time. This time we're doing our normal time, 6 to 8, which is like if you wait until 6 to eat, um, I'm not saying moms get hangry. I do. So, uh, so instead of, I know that a lot of people are going out for, for lunch and you know, uh, dinners with moms. So eat to your fill this afternoon with your families. And then when you get here tonight, we're going to have desserts galore. So uh, we'll have ice cream, pie, all that kind of like just fun dessert stuff to start us off. So that's, that's at 6 o'clock. If your mom is not coming, you can still come to Revive. That's okay. Um, and if you're too scared to come to Revive, mom, just know that your kid comes every week. So, yeah. uh, so it's not that big a deal. We would love for you to come out. And I promise, I know some, some moms, you know, your kid gets home at 9, 9.15, 9.30, and you're like, what were you doing for an extra hour and a half? We'll have you out the door by 8 o'clock, okay? So I, I know how valuable sleep is. So that two-hour two window, we want to enjoy some time with you and, and enjoy some, some dessert, too. So that's tonight, 6 to 8. Um, next week is a big week for both of our student groups because our, our fifth graders get to move up to Refuge on Wednesday the 24th, and our eighth graders get to move up to Revive next Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, a little different next Sunday, though. I'll be sending out all this on Remind, but next Sunday we are meeting from 12 to 2 because the high school graduates, and we want to go honor our seniors and go be with them. So 12 to 2 next Sunday is the first time eighth graders can come be a part of Refuge, and we love you know, when they take advantage of that because we're heading off to camp. So we want to get familiar with some faces, and we want to get to know you because um, you know, my junior high leaders are not all the same as my high school leaders. So 
want to make sure that we get some introductions before we head off to camp. And eighth graders also get to double dip, um, so they can go to refuge for one last time on the 24th while our fifth graders come up and join us. We've got a good, healthy crop of fifth graders coming up, and I'm really excited about it. That is awesome. Very good. This is the last day as an adult that you can sign up for Serve Squad for Quest, so I want to make sure you get that done, especially looking for some people who'd be willing to come even for just part of the day to make coffee, to get water out. So if, if you'd be willing to do that, uh, we'd love for you to sign up and get involved in that. Um, the reminder again that we're inside next week, but the week after, on May 28th, we do the first of our three outdoor services. It was ironic announcing this in the first service because first service walked into something the equivalent Monsoon-ish. of Noah's flood. Yeah. And I could see when I said this, everybody was thinking the same thing. What if it rains? It won't. There we go. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll see the picture. It won't. It'll, it'll just be, it'll be beautiful. So we're going to have a great time together. Uh, again, it, it's Mother's Day. And, you know, the, the image that we had on the screen today was of Lily of the Valley. I, I love... I love this part of, of my life. As a kid, uh, my mom loved Lily of the Valley. Uh, that was, it was really important. We actually got some from the park, planted it in our yard so she could have Lily of the Valley. And then it turns out your mom loves Lily of the Valley. And so this morning I get to go out, and it, 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 I love that it blooms around here right at Mother's Day. So I went out and picked about 20 of them, put them in a nice little vase for, for your mom. And, uh, and I just I love that in thinking about mom's Today we get the chance to, to think about our mothers. As, as, as we move into communion, uh, we're going to be thinking about mom in particular and how that relates to God. But before we do, I want to go to that scripture passage. We're in 1 Peter. We're actually going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I think it's verses 1 to 11, uh, maybe a little more than that. And we'll be looking at this this week and next week. There's one verse in particular we're going to zero in on, but I want you to see the, the whole context here. So uh, if you'd go ahead and start reading for us, I'd appreciate it. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, You husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what is right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. 
So we'll be going to communion. We walk to communion, tables at the front and the back. We have uh, gluten-free on either side of the, of the platform as well as a, a table, table at the back. And as we do, I want you to, I want you to fix in your mind a, a, a thing or two that you're grateful, uh, that, that gives you gratitude for your mom or for a significant mother figure in your life, something that, that you think of and you say, God, I am so thankful. But I want you to take it a step further. As you reflect on communion, don't just think about that attribute of that mom or mother figure, but then think about the way in which that is an expression of who God is. Make that tie over to see that, 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 that the thing that God allowed you to observe in life is actually part of his character and worship him through that during communion. And if you have another moment after you wrap that prayer up, think of the people who are struggling today, whether mm -hmm. it's the, the people who are dealing with First Mother's Day without mom or grandma um, or any situation like that. Um, for example, I have a, a friend downstate who, uh, as my, my college friend group is all kind of in the, the core family building years, and they aren't able to have kids, um, so they've gone the route of adoption, which is very expensive, arduous, it can happen quickly, and, and about a month ago, um, they were notified by their agency, hey, we, we have a child ready, it'll be here in two weeks, sound good? And they were elated. Um, drove down to Arkansas on the day that it was being born, held the baby in their arms, and named it, and were you know, filling out the final steps of the paperwork, when mom said, you know what, I actually want to keep the baby, mm. which ultimately they were excited for. They're like, this is, this is what you want. You want the child to be with their, adopt or with their real mom. And yet the heartache of knowing that, um, that here you, you had a child and it was taken away mm -hmm. um, just in an instant, uh, that it's a really, really hard thing to deal with. So um, especially just be thinking about mm -hmm. the people who maybe this isn't a, a truly, fully celebratory day. Thanks. Let's go to communion. As I reflect on my mom and picture her when I was a kid, it's not, to, it's not hard to imagine what she wore because she pretty much wore the same thing all the time. And it's not that she would not have wanted something different to wear. It's that she had four kids that were growing really fast and they had needs. And she set aside her desires for the needs of her children. And I think about that with you, God, and I realize that you sacrificed someone you loved ever so dearly. You sacrificed your son. You, you allowed your son to go through pain so that we could be children of God. I thank you for the way that, a, that the sacrifice of a mom can remind us of the sacrifice of our Father God. I am grateful, ever so grateful, for the women in our lives, all the women in our lives, and for everything they bring to our lives. I'm grateful for their gentleness. I'm grateful for their compassion. I am grateful for their strength, their conviction, and the times that they speak up. I'm just, I, I'm really grateful that when you when you created us, you did not simply create men and say, that's good enough. What a boring world it would be if we did not have the women in our lives and through the women in our lives, 
the fullest expression of the image of God. We are able to look at both men and women and learn so much more about our Heavenly Father. And so we give you thanks today for the beauty of your creation and for the way that creation teaches us more about you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this spring we've been studying First Peter, and fortunately Peter gives us some really valuable teaching about men and women, about wives and husbands, about moms and dads. We don't even have to wander away from this letter today in order to develop a really good Mother's Day theme. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 12 is like several other passages of Scripture. You'll find similar concepts addressed in, in 1 Corinthians 7 and Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 2. When they appear in lists like they do in 1 Peter and Ephesians and Colossians, they're referred to as household codes. Peter and Paul relay God's desires and God's ideals as it pertains to living together as a Christian family, I got to admit these, these passages are not easy to address in the modern American context, especially in the 30-minute sermon format. The passages use words that are, that are not necessarily comfortable to modern ears, words like submission and authority, inner beauty versus outer ornamentation, referring to, to a wife as a, as a weaker vessel. These are comments, concepts that many pastors artfully avoid, especially on Mother's Day. Smart pastors do that, but you did not hire a smart pastor. So we're going to go there. The difficulty is not with the words themselves, but in the interpretation and application of the words. So let's start with interpretation. Many modern Bible scholars have written off these household instructions in the context of culture. They claim that there were cultural issues at play that applied to a specific audience, but they were not intended beyond the recipients of the letter. Roman culture was not at all kind to women. Sadly, the same could be said of Jewish culture when it was lived outside of biblical instruction. Women too often throughout human history were treated as property rather than as a treasured partner. Because Peter and Paul talk about slaves and masters as well, modern biblical scholars feel free to write these instructions off altogether. But we have two problems with this. First, we believe the whole Bible is timelessly inspired. It's the authoritative Word of God. Passages did not come with expiration dates. Now, certainly some passages, like prophecy and, and ceremonial laws, have been fulfilled, but no passages intended for ancients only, moderns, need not apply. It doesn't work that way. Other passages uh, have with it uh, the problem of what we might call the, the cultural qualifier. They say this is written for a certain time, certain setting, certain people, but it's not intended for today. I made this statement last week, I repeat it. All of human life, all of human history is lived in the context of culture. Culture is unavoidable. If the Bible were written today instead of 2,000 years ago, it would use examples about screens and technology and cars and presidents instead of kings. The genius of this book written over hundreds of years by multiple authors over 2,000 years ago, is that it was written in culture, but it is not bound by culture. Behind every culture-bound example 
is a timeless principle. Kim and I went through this uh, not too long ago while we were on vacation. Uh, we're staying, we, we went to Sedona, Arizona, and I, I, there were two things I didn't know about Sedona. One, I didn't know how breathtakingly beautiful it is, and the other is I didn't know how new agey it was. I mean, everywhere you turn around, it's got the word mystical attached to it, and they're talking about energy rising from rocks and all these things, kind of practicing their, their new age religion. So, so we go down into the, into the hotel lobby to go get breakfast, and there's this, there's this beautiful glass water, water jug. I don't know what else to call it. Water jug. It's got a, got a faucet on it, cups next to it. And if you look at it, about halfway down, they have, they have stones suspended in the water, crystals, crystals in the water. And there's a little sign next to it telling you that, that these crystals give energy. These crystals, these crystals are important. They'll, they'll renew you. And I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm going... Should I drink the water? Is it, is it okay to drink the water? I mean, it, it, this is like meat offered to idols. The, the, the meat would be offered to an idol and then taken to the market to be sold. And the Christians were asking, should we eat something that's been part of a ceremony or is it just meat? And some people ate it and some people didn't. I'm looking at the water and going, so should I drink the religious crystal water or is it just water? And I'm like, <laughs> grabbed the cup, filled her up, drank, didn't feel any different and realized, hey, it's just water, no problem. We're, we're good to go. But, but you see how the biblical writers will use something that happened in culture and, and, and there's a timeless principle there that can be applied to all times, not just a singular culture. We cannot simply write off Scripture because of culture or because it does not fit with our taste. So the first complicating factor is interpretation. The second is application. When we look at almost any passage of Scripture, we're reading God's ideal. This is the way life works at its best. But the fact is, a lot of life is lived outside of the ideal. Uh, as, as we lay out an ideal of Scripture, you may be thinking to yourself, but what if? Or if you only knew my situation. When the ideal and the real collide, a conversation is far more helpful than a presentation. We cannot address every potential situation in 30 minutes or less. Conversation, discernment, and wise counsel are vital for knowing how to live out God's ideal in every situation. I, I say all of this as a caution because a passage or word does not ring well with our ears. We must not be too quick to write it off based on interpretation or application. The passage is there for a reason. God is telling us this is how life works. Our problem arises when we think we are wiser than the designer of life and try to rewrite the instruction manual to fit our wisdom. So we're going to be unpacking 1 Peter 3, 1 to 12 this week and next week. But today we're just going to, we're going to drill into one verse. We're going to look at verse 7. And I'm doing this because it fits so well with today. It fits well with Mother's Day. How do we, how do we serve mom well? How do, we, how do we serve the women in our life well? How do, we, how do we serve these women with the treatment that they deserve? How do we give honor where honor is due? So we're going to read verse 7 again, and I'm going to provide it to you in three different versions. I'm doing this in part to make sure we know exactly what the verse says, what's being conveyed. It is possible that, that a modern interpreter 
will allow a bias to color a translation. So it's important to read it in more than one place. Starting with the the New Living Translation, which is the least literal of the three translations, it says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Now you look at the NIV, a little more literal. It says husbands in the same way. Be considerate as you live with your wives. So they've taken the word understanding and interpreted it as being a considerate person. Treat her with the respect she deserves as as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. English standard is is the most, uh, most literal of the three. It says, likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, in an understanding way. So, so it doesn't use considerate in an understanding way, not just understanding her, but in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, this is the first time we've seen the word vessel used. The other refer to the word partner. They go with the literal word vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Warren Wearsby is a Bible scholar that I respect, I admire, and he wrote a series of commentaries that start with the word be, B-E. So, for example, 1 Peter, his commentary is called Be Hopeful. We've seen the theme of hope in 1 Peter. His treatment of verse 7 is so practical. As Peter writes to, to Christian husbands, he reminds them of four areas of responsibility in relationship with their mates. He says you have a physical responsibility to dwell with them, an intellectual responsibility to dwell with them according to knowledge, that you have an emotional responsibility, giving honor to your wife, and a spiritual responsibility that your prayers may not be hindered. So as we look at this as this passage, there are, there are really four words or four terms that we need to understand. What does it mean to honor, to live with, to understand, and what is Peter's saying by weaker vessel. To understand these words, we need to understand them in the context of their culture and and, and what's going on there. Roman culture, like many cultures, is a very domineering culture. Power was a prime value. Power was everything. People with power use their power to subjugate those with less power or no power. Every every, Every man was the emperor, so to speak, of his own domain. And like many of the Roman emperors, they would wield their power at home forcefully. Wives, children, and servants were treated as property used by the power broker for their purposes. Peter and Paul are entering this Roman context of power, and they're putting forth a new way, a different way, a better way, a biblical way, God's way. Interestingly, they do not advocate for some form of modern American flattening out of society. Let's pretend that power doesn't exist. Let's pretend that authority doesn't exist. Let's pretend that differences do not exist. This is a delusion and deception of our times. We're imposing a a flattened out fantasy. Peter and Paul acknowledge that differences do exist. They acknowledge that authoritative structures are part of the human experience. We're going to dig into that more next week. What Peter and Paul do is warn against 
using authority structures and innate differences to a personal advantage. The phrase we looked at the last two weeks fits right here. Be holy because I am holy. Peter is telling the ancient and modern husband that this is an opportunity to reflect the nature and the character of God. So just jump back to chapter 2 for a moment. Peter wrote, live as free people, because you're free, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. This is a major theme both for Peter and Paul. Freedom is not an excuse for living outside of the lines. Power, authority, and differences are not an excuse for exploitation. For the Christ-following man, power, authority, and differences are an opportunity to step up and serve and to be like Jesus, who, who didn't consider equality with God something to take to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He became the servant of everyone else. True power is not the exertion of control. No, it's an excuse to serve. The human way is to pre pretend that, that no one has power, that no differences exist. Biblical wisdom acknowledges the, the existence of these realities and the opportunities they open to be completely Christ-like. So let's, let's go back to the words that need addressing. Honor, understanding, weaker vessel, all these words. Let's start with weaker vessel because everything else hinges on this. Some might take issue with the word vessel being used to describe one's wife. You can see both the NIV and the NLT chose the word partner instead, but literally it's the word vessel. First, this, this word vessel is used several times in the New Testament of all people, not just a single sex, not just women. When, when used of humans, it's used for one of three reasons. It's used either to demonstrate preciousness and vulnerability. Second, it's used to, to speak of the value of what's carried inside. So, for example, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in jars of clay. And it also gives us an idea of the relationship between the vessel and the owner of the vessel. And the owner of the vessel is Christ himself. Even the comparison weaker vessel means what? Peter's referring to the husband as a vessel, a stronger vessel, but they're both vessels. So, so we shouldn't take offense at the word vessel. But what about weaker? Who you call weak, buddy? Come on. Really? Truth is, we all know this, that women are people of tremendous strength. And we all know that if childbirth were a male responsibility, humanity would have been a very short experiment. We'd be gone, extinct. Women show greater strength than men in many, many areas. In parenting, far too often, it's the guy who gives in first, not the woman. I, I got to tell you, when my kids wanted something in my house, they came and asked me, you know what I mean? I'm going to give in, and it's not gotten a whole lot different in grandparenting. So Kim has really got this great discipline structure going with, with Emmett and naps. He lays down, 
And, and he's allowed to kind of fuss for five minutes and then go touch him. He'll be okay. And, and then if he fusses a little, five more minutes, touch him again. Usually by the second time, he is out, okay? So I'm, I'm, adap- I'm, ad- I'm adapting to that. That's working. But he also has this habit that after he's been napping for a short time, he will wake up like he's just been, you know, biggest nightmare in the history of earth. He's just screaming. Well, the other day... Um, Kim had to leave during the nap, so I've got nap duty, and he wakes up howling. I mean, he's just screaming. So I go over and I'm, Emmett, it's okay, it's okay. I pat him a little bit. He's looking at me like, save me, save me. You know, he's got the eyes going, whatever. I walk over, I sit in the chair, the crying does not stop, and I'm like, what would Kim do? And Dennis did the opposite. So I picked him up. <laughs> I put him on my chest, and in three seconds, this kid is out, boom, gone. I'm like, yoo-hoo. Well, the Avalon these days has a really nasty, loud muffler. And so I'm sitting in the chair, and I hear the car pull in the garage. And now I have a choice to make, right? Do, do I lay him down and pretend I've not been holding him? But if I lay him down, he's going to start to scream. And so I'm like, all right, get ready for your punishment. And it came. She comes walking around the, around the, the, the door, looks at me. And, and if you can say weakling with your eyes, she did. She did. She, she let me know I am a very, very weak man when it comes to this child. You see, when it comes down to it, Peter is making a simple physical observation. Generally, men have more physical strength than women. Generally. We can all find an exception, right? We can all find an exception. But generally, men have more physical strength than women. What's Peter's point? Power in the Roman world and in most of human history is used to exert that power over the less powerful And Peter says, not in this house. Not in the family of God. In God's family, more power means more responsibility. More power means being first in line to use that power to help the less powerful. Power is not about privilege. Power is about the privilege of serving. He's saying never think of your physical dominance as an opportunity to power up. Never, ever do that. In too many households, even those claiming Christ, the person with the most power uses that power to personal advantage. Power is not about being served, but serving and being willing to give your life for the other person. As a godly man, God commands that we, that we use our strength to honor our wives. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. So let's look at the word honor. Honor, honor is kind of a tough word for me, okay? It, it feels ethereal. It feels nebulous. Maybe it's clearer for you, but I, you know, I think about honor, I think of like an honor guard. I think of awards and badges. Am I supposed to have a ceremony for my wife? What does it look like to honor her? Well, as you start looking at the, at the definition, you see things like it's about value. It's about the preciousness of a person or an object. It's about their substantial value, their real worth. It's about, it's about dignity. It's about, it's about veneration. All these things are pieces of honor. You see, I'm to treat this woman every day, not just on Mother's Day, not just on her birthday, not just on her anniversary, but I'm to treat her every day with value, with dignity, with respect, with preciousness, and with worth. 
How do we determine the best way to do this? He says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Live, your, live with your wives in an understanding way. So live together. Live together is about more than a shared address. A better word is dwell. He says, dwell together. This is, this is sharing time. This is, this is sharing life. It's not just bodies in the same room, but hearts and minds engaged and entwined. Being fully present. Peter is, is commanding us to be fully present with our wives. If Peter were writing this in the modern context, he'd say, guys, put down the remote. Put your phone aside. You can walk away from your call of duty for this moment. Dwell with your wife. Be there, fully there. And as you dwell with her, you'll start to understand. Treat your wife with understanding as you dwell with her. The NIV choice of consideration is not really the best choice. This literally means to dwell according to knowledge. There's certain knowledge you gain, and you're to live according to the knowledge that you've gained. We're to dwell with her in an understanding way based on that knowledge. The knowledge is vast. It's the knowledge of God's purposes and design for marriage. The knowledge of your wife's goals and desires. The knowledge of her strengths and her weaknesses. The knowledge of her fears, and, and I don't know, maybe in some ways most importantly, the knowledge of her scars. Where has she been wounded deeply? And how am I careful not to wound her in the same way or the same place? Live with consideration for all of these factors. Treat her with great honor as this knowledge grows and deepens as you dwell together. This requires putting on some virtues for guys that a lot of us, we don't naturally excel in these areas. Uh, virtues like gentleness and kindness and compassion, not being harsh, not being forceful, not in a way that demeans and humiliates. The opposite of honor is to be a brute, exerting demands and, and having harsh forcefulness, being insensitive, insulting, and demanding. This is not treating my wife with value and preciousness. And when we do not honor our wives, this comes at a price. Treating one's wife with anything short of honor leads to a disconnect with God. When I am not honoring my wife, I am disobeying God. And Peter specifically says that not honoring your wife can lead to your prayers being blocked. It's hindering our prayers. It's the height of hypocrisy to ask God for help when we are not willing to use our power to help those who are placed in our care. My relationship with God and my relationship with my wife correlate. Honoring him means honoring her. Kim wasn't in the first service. She's in this one. Um, I got to really admit that as I preach through this today, I was not great at honoring Kim, especially the first 10 years of our marriage. We've had moments along the way that have been better. We've had some moments that have not been great, but first 10 years in particular, um, I didn't honor her the way that a man, a Christian man should honor a woman, should honor his wife. I grew up in a, in a household that was, that was pretty heavy-handed. 
household that was um, pretty harsh. And I'm not making an excuse, but I did what I learned. And as I grew, um, you know, sometimes you look back on younger you and you just want to close your eyes and say, what was I thinking? Um, I got another example in my life. I got her dad. And her dad was the epitome of, of gentleness and kindness. He would serve, and honestly, sometimes my mother-in-law could be really demanding, and he never said, woman, get it yourself. You know? He would jump and serve her, and I watched and I watched and I watched what it meant to, to honor my wife. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's sobering to look and say that really one of, the, one of the best gifts I can give you on this Mother's Day is not just Lily of the Valley, but an apology. Because um, God's call is for us to honor our wives. I, I wonder sometimes how many, how many prayers are laying on my bedroom floor because they're bouncing right back to me when I wasn't honoring her. You see in reality, for a lot of us, the the best gift that we could give our spouse today is an apology. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And I'm going to try better. I'm going to change. He ends all of this by turning our eyes to the eternal since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. He says, you are equals. You are equals. Both of you come to God the same way. Both of you have the same relationship with God. We treat this woman we love as if she has eternal, precious value because she does. We are joint heirs of the grace of God. You didn't only ask, perhaps you did, perhaps you didn't. You didn't only ask your, your father-in-law for your wife's hand in marriage. God the Father gave you the gift of his daughter. And we treat her like the precious gift of the daughter of God. Let's stand together. And so, Father God, our prayer today is that we would take Scripture seriously. We would not write it off too quickly. We would not ignore it. I pray that we would do better. That we will look at the times that we are demeaning toward our wives, controlling of our wives, harsh with our wives, and realize that that is not just a personality flaw. It's not just bad training of childhood. But it's a command from God that we not live that way and we stop sinning. We apologize today to the women in our lives for whom we have not shown the highest honor. You've given us physical strength and you've called on us to use our strength to serve them and love them and honor them in every way. Help us to be more like you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Go enjoy your Mother's Day. We'll see you.